right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John, and uh, this week I am joined by veteran historian and author Andrew Biggio, uh, who is the author of the very popular uh, book or book series, The Rifle. Uh, my partner in crime is not with me today as he is prepping for a uh, theater production so it's just going to be me and him today andrew welcome and uh or i should say welcome back as our our listeners don't aren't aware of the uh the cursed nature of this particular episode uh thanks yeah but you know what it's good to be back i enjoyed our first talk so for for those at home uh to bring you the the terrific movie review of Saving Private Ryan, we've had scheduling and technology and general life things going on. That's uh, <laughs> you know, as as we said, we've we've recorded this episode before. Uh, it unfortunately did not save, but Andrew, you were uh, gracious enough to to come back and tackle this topic again. So I greatly appreciate that. I believe in you. <laughs> well, at least one of us does. Yeah. So, as I, I mentioned before, Saving Private Ryan, this was uh, your movie choice. Um, first first question right off the bat is uh, why why this movie for you? I, I think it's, uh, you know, probably the most war like the war movie of all war movies. Um, but, but what is your attachment to this film? Um, it's definitely the film that really, uh, sparked or helped spark my total interest to, to help veterans in general, not just world war two veterans, but all veterans. Um, as a kid growing up with like ADD and ADHD, I couldn't even sit still in school never mind read a book, but what had a, profound impact on my life was sitting in front of the big screen or TV. And that's what really got the point across to me. And to see Saving Private Ryan and see what those guys went through, it changed my life as a young man to honor veterans and respect the sacrifices that they went through for our country. And that that's, uh, that's great. Could you tell us a little more about your work with uh, the rifle, which is ultimately kind of your your big outreach tool for World War II vets. Yeah, you know, um, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan as a Marine. Um, and, you know, I think when I was in the service, I kind of forgot about saving Private Ryan and the veterans who wore the uniform before me because I was just trying to get through my own my own service. Um, but when I came home, I, I found out, you know, the need to help injured Iraq and Afghanistan veterans who came home less fortunate than me. Um, and that spawned to me purchasing an M1 Grand rifle. And then who better to hold the rifle and see the rifle is the World War II veteran. So I ended up bringing that M1 Grand and putting it into the hands of over 400 World War II veterans, recording their story and doing my doing my due diligence and my purpose of telling the story of, of men and women who couldn't be in the movie Saving Private Ryan, let's just say, or Band of Brothers, you know, I told the story of the the unknown units, the unknown divisions, and the overlooked uh, veterans of the Second World War in both my books, Rifle One and Rifle Two. 
that's uh that's really great the the work that you've done i've seen tons of you know videos of you know the the interactions you've you've had with those guys and you know it's something you've expounded upon in your book a lot which is it really you know these guys who are in their 80s 90s you know almost hundreds now like bringing them in the presence of the rifle really uh brings a new life to them yeah absolutely and and that was my insp- saving private ryan was my inspiration to do my part and tell their stories and then you know after saving private ryan and band of brothers and the pacific and you know the, and whatever else was to follow youtube specials history channel everything and everything seemed to be surrounded by the 101st airborne d-day normandy and i feel like or the flag raising on iwo jima um so i felt like something needed to be told in between all of this stuff and i you know i hope to god one day my books go to tv or movies i could definitely see it and uh you know i highly doubt he listens to it but if tom hanks could uh do that for one of your books i think that'd be fantastic yeah exactly especially i think my first book does a lot about the italy campaign which they've yet to cover i think that should be their uh their next mini series they do oh yeah i hope not i want to do it <laughs> so uh you know we we had kind of joked before in our, our previous recording and in previous episodes you know for us we we held off on this movie for such a long time because you know it's it's a film that you know if you, you type it into google or youtube just type war movie saving private ryan is the first thing that comes up it's always in the top 10 list of any kind of uh rating deal um you know it's such an indelible part of like popular culture right that uh you know we honestly we avoided it because we were we weren't sure how to honestly tackle it because we're like what more can you say other than you know oh wow tom hanks great job five out of five stars move on but uh you know with your experience your vast experience of interacting with world war ii vets and actually having you know gone overseas to these different battle sites um you know this was the the one time we we felt comfortable about actually tackling this film so you know kind of moving in um i wanted to talk about the very first scene in the film um which is obviously old man james ryan uh before all the action and whatnot takes off we see him walking in the american cemetery in normandy and uh he comes across uh Tom Hanks's, you know, pseudo grave and has a very emotional moment with that. How did that scene strike you in comparison to like your work with World War II vets? You know, when I first saw that scene uh, in 1999, I think the movie came out, I was in fifth grade, but I probably didn't see the movie till I was about like sixth grade, I think. And, um, And so I always thought it was a powerful scene, right? Like, wow, he returns and he falls down. Then, you know, let's see, 
25 years later, I'm bringing veterans back to Holland and Normandy and Italy and Luxembourg and Belgium and watching them collapse at the grave sites, you know, um, I literally duplicated that scene 25 years later by accident when I brought Ed Cottrell, who was a 100 year old fighter pilot back to Holland and he had never seen his roommate's grave, right? So he was a fighter pilot. The, back then, the fighter pilots uh, shared rooms, uh, whatever building that they would take over as the Ninth Air Force, you know, advanced through Europe. And they lived in a schoolhouse in the town of St. Tron, Belgium. And him and Ted Smith shared the same room, and they went out on December 27th, uh, excuse me, December 17th. And Ed was the only one that came back. Ted Smith was shot down and killed that day. And I had found Ted Smith's grave in Holland when we flew into Amsterdam. I didn't tell Ed. I brought him to the cemetery to see if he would notice. I told him that we were vi- we were visiting some uh, some guys from Boston, Mass, that were buried here. And I took him down a road to see if, just to see. And sure enough, he stuck out of his hand and said, ooh, walked over to the grave. And at the age of the time, he was 99. Now he's 101 or 102, but he got down on one knee, grabbed that grave and started to cry. And I I didn't think about saving Private Ryan right there. It wasn't until I got home and started to get millions of views on Facebook that I realized I just recreated that scene in Saving Private Ryan. And now that I think about it, I wonder how many times that's happened since the construction of those cemeteries over there. How many veterans have come back and just got on their knees that that that's the reason why they showed that scene in the movie. Yeah, it definitely, it's a scene that it's very powerful and it's full of a lot of emotion, but you know, for someone who's never actually seen that occur or hasn't been like in a presence of a veteran who is experiencing that, I could definitely see how like your everyday person could kind of see that as just uh over dramatic Hollywood acting, if you will. No, yeah, um, it's real life. It definitely is, and I think that's that's probably what you know. Going into the rest of this film, um, you know, there are plenty of films prior to Saving Private Ryan that doesn't shy away from violence or doesn't shy away from the horrors of war, but I think this is one of the first truly realistic films um you know just you know the last time we had discussed this you know we talked about the the different combat scenes um you know obviously the the very first invasion uh, or the the landing at omaha is such an intense uh battle scene is probably one of the most intense battle scenes that you can find in any film ever uh what did you think about the the initial attack on omaha um i thought it was unbelievable i mean i said holy crap for once we don't see like like in movies right we're seeing we're hearing thuds we're hearing impact we're hearing wet uniforms being hit with rounds we're hearing the dinks off boats uh we're hearing helmet shots we're seeing impacts we're seeing real life explosions um the smoke the fuck we're seeing people on fire you know it looks so realistic 
And I remember seeing, I see, I always see like, you know, the movie came out in 1999. It was, it was pre band of brothers. It was, uh, pre September 11th. It was, you know, before the internet got taken over by so much that I remember seeing like random facts of saving private Ryan, where it was like world war two veterans. Um, some had to leave the theaters, uh, and I think it was you who told me like some World War II veterans were told to call a hotline after they saw that movie because of how realistic it was. And um, right. So I mean, that was like the first real, real realistic war movie uh, that had been ever shown like that since since the war. You know, that was. I think that movie came out. Let's see, nineteen ninety five would be fifty years after the end of World War Two. So then you have. 96, 97, 98, 99. So 54 years later, right? Yeah. Is basically that movie came out 54 years later after World War II. Crap, that's not even that long, you know, if you think about it. No, it's no, it's not. And it's it also just kind of speaks to you know, I think every generation kind of has to wrestle with their own aging and their their kind of place in history because like you know you're currently working with a generation of guys who they are in their 90s they are getting into their hundreds they're they're dwindling down um but at one point you know it's it's how this film starts off like yes it's an older guy who's playing as old matt damon but he's like in his seventies. You don't think of him as like a, like an old, old man, you know? Yeah. Um, it's crazy to me to think that like kids today have a similar association with world war two vets the same way that like you and I would have an association with like world war one vets where it's like, there's so few of them left. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing is like the Vietnam vets are the age now of, what Tom Hanks was or Matt Damon was in that, in that movie. Right. You know? So I think the, the, the Vietnam vets are averaging what in their late seventies right now. So that's basically what Matt Damon's character would have been in that movie at that time. So, I mean, yeah, cause think about it. The 50th anniversary of the Vietnam war was just recently. So a couple of years ago, though, yeah, that's about it. And, um, it's crazy to think that, I duplicated that scene in the movie unintentionally 30 years later almost with a man who was 100. That's how much the war has never left them. Right. It'd be almost as if, uh, you know, it'd be the equivalent of like my, you know, I I told you this story before, but my my dad had the the privilege to meet a World War I vet. back when you know there's there was still very few of them left right around the time my dad met him but like it'd be the equivalent of like my dad taking a world war one vet to verdun or something it's just Mm -hmm. it's just crazy to think about yeah um god what was i gonna say um so kind of moving on I knew what you were going to say. If Tom Sizemore was still alive, would I invite him to my 80th anniversary? (laughs) And the answer is yes, I would. I'd 
probably send him a message on Instagram or Twitter and be like, Tom, I'm bringing five veterans and probably go. Yeah. Rest in peace, Tom Sizemore. He, he honestly was one of the best parts of this film. Like, you know, he, he obviously plays the, like, he's kind of typecasted as the like grizzled sergeant, but he does such an excellent job doing it. Yeah, he was, he, he was, he was outstanding, you know, and you know, he wasn't the typical fit, you know, six pack type soldier. I mean, they made him, you know, the thicker older guy, you know? So, um, you know, the scene where it's like, you know, Tom Hanks is taking his anger out on him and he's like, I want to go up the middle when they're talking about taking up. He's like, yeah, the way you run, I don't think so. Right. I, uh, I can't remember if it was this film specifically, but I think it was this film, but you know, Tom Sizemore, like a lot of Hollywood actors had substance abuse issues. And, uh, I think it was a part of the agreement or there was some sort of incident that occurred where Steven Spielberg basically said, okay, I'm going to start drug testing you every day. And if you pop hot, I will reshoot every one of your scenes and I'll kick you off of this film. Wow. And the fact, and like I said, I believe it's this film. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know that that happened in one of his films. And the fact that like, he was dedicated enough to this particular project to do that. I think speaks volumes about, mm -hmm. you know, the, how important this particular film was to everybody that was involved. Yeah. I think band, uh, no band, I think Black Hawk down was, came out in 2001. So he did saving private Ryan and then Black Hawk down came out in 2001. He was a, he played an awesome hardcore, you know, Sergeant then. I think. Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Pearl Harbor as well. That's kind of a it's a no no movie around here. That's our that's our bottom of the barrel. I know. You know what's funny is that even though Pearl Harbor was such a joke of a movie, there was actually some pretty cool scenes of that movie, you know? Oh, absolutely. I you thought know? even though it had nothing to do with Pearl Harbor, the the like Battle of Britain scenes in that film, phenomenal. Right. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, first they're fighting in pre-war, World War Two. you know, like they're over there helping England. Then they're back just in time for Pearl Harbor. And then they're on the freaking Doolittle Raid and, you know. That's something I really would love to have nowadays is like a big budget Doolittle Raider movie. Because mm -hmm. there, there's been a couple of attempts at Doolittle Raider movies, but like, I think the the one like, quote-unquote good like solely focused do little film is 30 seconds over tokyo which was made during world war ii <laughs> yeah I and mean, there's been a lot of shitty world war ii movies made uh, there's like a movie i think it's called like anzio and it like has nothing to do with anzio there's like a battle of the bulge movie it has like nothing to do with the battle of the bulge these are just great taglines right you know, to call sells them. sells tickets exactly i mean for I, its time, like i said for its time Patton was a great movie for its time you know uh br bridge over the i mean a, a bridge too far the longest day for their times they were great movies 
Absolutely. We we reviewed a bridge too far with one of the guys from the uh, airborne demonstration team who uh, they jump out of C-47s for reenactment events. And uh, we, we love that film um, just because, of, you know, obviously Band of Brothers really kicked off like the popular culture, like everybody's super into like paratroopers and you know the 506 and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um which i find to be kind of amazing that there wasn't almost like an early earlier kickoff to it given this film because you know private ryan the story of private ryan is is loosely based off an actual 506 guy who lost his brothers and uh you know, I, I had told you this last time, but it's literally all of like mentioned two sentence in Stephen E. Ambrose's book of this guy. Um, and the fact that they were able to generate an entire, you know, basically like the greatest war movie of all time out of what was essentially a footnote. Um yeah. I think it, it speaks volumes, but I'm I'm surprised the the love for like paratroopers didn't kick off before Band of Brothers because of that. Yeah, um, I think Stephen Ambrose's book Band of Brothers did really well, and then there was another guy. Oh man, his name is the tip of my tongue. Oh, Bert Burnett or Bert? He wrote a couple best selling Airborne books, you know. Um, but, you know, basically what they did, because as you know, Saving Private Ryan's a fictional movie. There's no Ramel France with the bridge. There's no, um, you know, the Rangers were assigned to Point Du Hawk, but then they put him on with the 29th Division there. Um, and like I told you before, I can't remember if they loosely based that on a a Rangers boat that got misguided and went in with the 29th Division at... Um, uh, you know, Easy Red or you know, Dog One and all that stuff. I can't remember, but it was basically like, did you take a million stories of World War II veterans and you make one movie out of it? You know, that's what the Saving Private Ryan is. They took stories from let's just let's just say you could interview a thousand World War II veterans who participated in Normandy, and they took all of their stories and made one movie out of it. And that's like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it also, I think it's great, you know, you're, you're describing of it of like every person. It, it really is, even if it is from the American point of view, we see so much. We see the beach landing, but then we also see, you know, the, the, the like the days after of like Normandy becoming the largest seaport in the world. And then we see inland fighting we see the paratroopers we see tank combat it's it's literally everything Mm -hmm. um which kind of it that kind of goes into the next thing i wanted to bring up was uh my own personal favorite scene and i'll i'll get to asking yours here in a moment but my my personal favorite scene in this entire movie is when tom hanks and the gang come across a crash glider site and it turns out uh 
it is the glider carrying the the second in command for the 101st airborne and like that is a true story that the second in command the second in command for the 101st died in the glider crash because they decided to up armor the the glider and told nobody about it um but like the actor who gives that monologue about like you know very much showing like the post-traumatic stress of like I tried doing everything I could, but like everybody in my plane died. Like I barely, you know, prevented myself from have breaking both of my arms trying to land this thing. Right. Yeah. Um, like it's such a fantastic bit of acting. Like there's so many great individual pieces of acting in this, but like that was such another one of those like super heavy scenes. But it's also it's such a small story that lets the audience see a much wider part of a story that isn't generally touched on. Correct. Um, that was a great scene. And based again, based on a story from World War Two, added to that scene to make this movie whole, right? How can we make this movie about finding this brother I always forget that Ryan have four brothers killed or three brothers killed. I think he had three brothers killed. I and think he had, had three. Four. Yeah. Which the real the real kicker to it is the real guy that this was based on. Mm-hmm. It turns out one of his brothers being killed in action was a false report. Um so like they I don't know what happened, but he was either missing in action or was presumed to be killed in action, but then uh, like a few months down the road, they found out, oh no, he's actually alive. Wow. So, so, but yeah, it's, it still goes to the fact that like after the whole Sullivan's incident, the army was, was not messing around with, uh, bringing people home if like an entire family was about to get wiped out. Right. And I think going back to like favorite scenes, I didn't appreciate this scene when I was younger because I was just all about action. But the general who ultimately, you know, from in Washington, D.C., who decides that, yes, they will risk live men, the lives of random men to rescue this one guy is a general who sits there and he reads Abraham Lincoln's real letter to a Massachusetts mother who lost four sons in the Civil War. Um, maybe I think it might have been after Gettysburg that he sent the letter to her. Uh, she was a Massachusetts mom, and it was um, him expressing a personal handwritten letter expressing his condolences for her losing four sons in the Civil War. And he reads that letter. The general in Saving Private Ryan reads that to the colonel and to all the other ones and says, we're going to find him, and we're going to bring him home. Um. And that was so much history involved in that. And that's why um, when Tom Hanks gets the mission on Omaha Beach, he says to him, I think the other colonel says, hey, this is, I got one right from the top from you. This comes right from the top. You're going to go find, you know, so that general made that decision ultimately that the mother who already lost three boys was not going to lose a fourth one. Right. And I, you know, going into, you know, more great acting and terrific scenes, you know, going more towards the end of the movie, you know, we had discussed this where, you know, 
the entire movie everybody in this group who's been assigned to go pick this guy up is like man fuck ryan like i would i wouldn't change a caparzo for ryan or or whatever and you know even uh captain miller or tom hanks character is like this by this guy better go create like a longer lasting light bulb or something um right so the entire movie nobody likes him they've never met him but they're like this is stupid uh but then they finally do link up with him and he has you know he he's dedicated to the unit he's with and the guys that he's fought alongside with and he's like i i'm not leaving because i I, there's nothing special about me i didn't earn this and uh tom hanks character says that what i'm supposed to tell your mom when they hand her another folded flag Mm-hmm. And that just like, just like really drives like a knife into the heart of anybody watching. Yeah. And he says, well, you tell her when you found me, I was with the only brothers I had left, you know, which is selfish. I mean, it, I understand he wants to stay with his men, but your mom just got three different people coming to the house to tell him your brothers are dead. You son of a bitch. Get out. You're going home. And that's the end of this. And, you know, it's, it's funny because they all say F Ryan, F this guy, what the hell, you know, but you know, they'll, they're at the movie, you know, they're supposed to be like, you know, 18 and 20 years old in the movie as young soldiers. So it's hard to know what someone's mother is going through after losing right. all kids for the country. And it doesn't matter what you say, PFC, whoever, probably whatever, this is coming from a general in DC, the guy's going home, period. Right. Another great line that that makes me think of is the, uh, is like, oh, you don't think this mission is stupid? Is like, doesn't matter. I, like, I don't complain to you. Complaints go up, not down. Yeah, yeah. Gripes go up. You know, um, and yeah, I, I'd say, and right before that where they're you know they're patrolling and you say it doesn't matter i my gripes go up i don't gripe down as a captain uh one of my favorite scenes in that movie is again you don't you when you see a lot of war movies you don't see the emotional connection between civilians going through hell in movies um like you yeah you'll see displaced people in the background or you'll see like uh, you know, civilian casualties or something, but like the scene where like, Caparzo, they're running, they're running away or whatever. Correct. The, the scene where the unit comes across a young French family in the second story of their home and half their home was blown up and they're distraught. They're crying. I mean, both children acted really good. The mother acted good. And even the father, looked, I mean, they really look like someone who just had their house blown apart, you know, and Caparzo. And that's ultimately the demise of Caparzo. Because he feels so bad, he takes the girl and he goes, oh, the decent thing to do is take her to the next town. She reminds me of my niece. And, he's, and the captain's like, hello, we're not taking a little girl with us. We're not here to right. do the decent thing. We're here to follow f- fucking orders, you know. And sure enough, he's standing out in the open too long and gets hit with a sniper. So it's it's a perfect scene to show you in war that no good deed goes unpunished. Right. That also, that was also a great scene because not only do you get that, but it's also just a great like 
it's a very tense moment uh as we see barry pepper have his anti-sniper moment where you know he's he's saying his little prayer as he's looking through a scope and then makes the one in a million like shoots the other sniper through the sniper's scope on his rifle um and i i love the fact that they actually like tested that on mythbusters at one point um but yeah it this thing this movie is just filled with so many amazing scenes it's and it's also one of those things that's like i've probably i can't even count the number of times i've seen this movie um it's it's way up there but every time i watch it i always notice or i've even seen the dirty the dirty uh version of it shaving ryan's private Oh, have you? I haven't, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that variant yet. <laughs> yeah, there's. Um, I've seen it a million times, and uh, you know it doesn't get old. It really doesn't. It's it's a magnificent piece of work. It, it it's. I always see like the band of brothers reunions and. Uh, if you go over to Normandy and you go over to Belgium, I mean, everyone loves Band of Brothers. They love the actors. But, like, I feel like Saving Private Ryan needs to have a reunion, like a 30-year reunion or something over there and honor it. And I hope to see some of these guys over at the 80th anniversary of D-Day because the 80th anniversary is this June, and it's like it's going to be the last big anniversary with living World War II veterans. Yeah, I Maybe think nobody for the 90th, you know. I think you will be very hard pressed to, I think when it comes to the 85th anniversary, you're going to be in single digits, if that. Yeah. I'm not doing anything with World War II veterans by then that I know. So I know this is my last big hurrah too. My, I I have yet to travel overseas to that part of the world yet. I hope to someday, but my own personal uh, D-Day plans is, uh, I'm planning to go to uh, Camp Tacoa. Yeah. Um, because every year, so they they have restored a couple of the original barracks at Camp Tacoa there. And now every year on D-Day, they host a, uh, a Curahee run. So it's a race, the, the same track that the guys in World War II did yeah, for their PT. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my my 85th or not 85th 80th uh, D-Day anniversary plans is to to run that that track and participate in those events. That's pretty cool, man. We'll we'll see if I survive. I've I've been training for it, but I'm not I I don't I don't have a giant ass hill to like I, I do live in Colorado, but I'm not running up the side of a mountain anytime soon so yeah curry yeah i've just i've just been putting the the treadmill on a high incline yeah so hopefully that gets me ready enough yeah well and it's all about the it's all about the uh the just the, the whole sentimental value of it you know right it's all it's all about the experience and the like connecting with the past part. Yeah. It's like I got to uh 
I was fortunate enough that I got to participate in the 20th anniversary events for uh, 9-11 in New York a couple of years ago. So I, I'm hoping to have a kind of a similar experience with that uh, connecting the history type deal. Yeah, I've done the uh, Tunnel to Towers run out there too. So kind of moving on, what is one thing that you would change about this film? I'd say one thing I'd change about it. Um, I'd say that, I mean, yes, one thing I would change about it is just uh, kind of like a couple of the scenes that I guess weren't my favorite. And I, you know, like there was just a couple of scenes and I, and I think the point of the scene was to show us, this is what it was like for young American boys to be living together in a displaced war and living in and out of churches and buildings and getting to know each other and things like that. But there was a scene, you know, in the church at nighttime where they, um, they're all sitting there at night and, you know, like Wade starts talking, the medic starts talking about like, uh, at nighttime, I would sit there and uh, ignore my mom, and she'd come in. And I'd pretend I'm sleeping. It's just like a stupid ass scene, like, and everyone's just kind of talking to each other, and and like the audio quality is not that great, and that's part of the scene. It's really hard to understand what people are saying or follow. And I think it was just they were showing burnt out soldiers reminiscing about home. You know, that's what I think they were doing, but. You know, it's hard to nit- nitpick that movie because it's um, it's such a great movie. You know, like I told you, it got like a million Academy Awards, but somehow it didn't get Best Picture and fucking Shakespeare in Love got it. You right. know, it's just a bunch of pile of horse crap. But um, how do you pass over the greatest generation for Shakespeare in Love? I don't know. But um, yeah, that so that, you know, that's one thing I guess – it was my least favorite part of the movie. It's not something I could change, but like, I get it. It's not supposed to be three hours of direct combat. They want to show you the different mental stat, uh, you know, status of men in war. So these guys will just ramble on, talk about stuff. So I, I think that was the, the point of it. You know, you, they show Tom Hanks, you know, right. his, his trembles. They show, him reminiscing about the many laws. They show Wade talking about his mom. They show Ryben talking about, you know, some chick with big breasts. And so I get the whole point of the movie, but it was my least favorite part. Barry Pepper's just sleeping away. Yeah. That would have been me. <laughs> How does he do it? Clean conscience. Yeah. I, uh, you know, for me, you know, I, I do really appreciate the cemetery scene. But the, the one thing I would change is, you know, the cemetery bookends this film. So we start there, we get the story, and then we go back to, I I think it's the ending that really bugs me because we get like Matt Damon, like he ages into an old man before our eyes and there's like a, uh, like a, like a distressed American flag, like waving in the background behind him. It's very kind of over the top. And he's like, you know, he looks to his wife. He's like, tell me I'm a good man. Um, I think, 
I think if they had either started the film or if they had ended the film with the cemetery scene, I think that would have been perfect. But the fact that they start and end it, I think it's a little too much for me. Yeah, I get, I can see that for sure. And uh, like I said, I, I didn't like the part where, you know, Matt Damon, who's like crying his eyes out at the end of the battle for the bridge, goes up to him and Tom Hanks goes, earn this, earn this. And then what, what, they look up to the sky and they see like the planes and like angels on our shoulders or something like that. They're tank busters, sir. Like, yeah, okay. Like, okay, Tom Hanks has a hole in his chest the size of a fucking, you know, softball, and you're telling him, like, what airplanes it is? Like, how about some medical aid might be might be better? Yeah, can you can you try try helping him out, not just, like, staring at him? Yeah. He's like, See, what's this that? Is, this, is, this is why nobody likes you, Ryan. Earn this. It's like, earn what? Earn, that like earned to go home or you earned it because you fought well like i help us out here i will say even before that though the you know the the battle for the bridge that is such an an impressive uh battle scene like so much choreography going into it so much like it's just it's just an amazing scene because you know obviously there's the the infamous uh up him letting his friends die scene you have i like i i'm a big submarine guy but my like something about seeing like tiger tanks rolling up the street i was just like yeah this is awesome um so i mean there's so much to appreciate in that that last battle was there any part of the last battle that like really stuck out to you or you really enjoyed oh yeah i mean there was so many great things about that and even like from a military strategic standpoint you know putting shooters in elevated positions and putting machine guns and certain avenues of approach like they really they talked about it in the beginning of the battle how they were going to do it and then they they executed it was just really done well you know that's what happens when i guess they you know that's back when in movies this if you wanted to play those actors you had to go to a mini boot camp you know so they they did well there and you could tell the differences between movies that put their guys through that and movies that don't. And, um, I thought everything was great, you know, taking over tanks. You never see like infantry jumping on tanks in certain movies. And then like the ricochets and the dust and the explosions and, you know, everything like that. So, uh, and that one guy who didn't know how to use a sticky bomb and it just blows up in his hand and, I love if you freeze frame it, it literally looks like a, like a Mythbusters, like dummy holding a fucking explosive charge. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. One thing I found silly about that battle though, which I, I didn't really find any issues with any of the other battle scenes, but the end battle scene where their mortar tube is broken so they just like start slamming mortar rounds onto a base plate and throwing them i'm like that's not that's not how this works guys like yeah, i know I, i'm like well maybe that was world war ii motor mortar so <laughs> that's why i did that you know using my imagination it's one of those hollywood mortars yeah even when they're sh- they're shooting that anti-aircraft gun at the guys climbing and they're body parts are just falling apart like fucking gingerbread cookies. Oh. 
So, uh, last time we did this, uh, we were doing it in the morning, so we were both uh, drinking coffee and you had to go to work. Has your uh, drink choice changed since the last episode? You know, oddly enough, I just happen to have these Ultra seltzers, like flavored seltzers in my fridge, and I I was having a watermelon Ultra seltzer. I mean, that is like completely gay but <laughs> that's what i'm drinking today you know and it's uh ain't nothing wrong with something tasty that's right it is good and um you know usually i'm a jack guy or jack and coke stuff like that i had these i'm like i had a uh, chinese food with my kids and then cracked open one of these and it was like perfect not too heavy after eating your chinese food you know right I uh, I am currently doing that Lent thing, and I uh, I chose to abstain from alcohol for the next forty days, uh, which was a terrible choice on my part because I forgot that St. Patrick's Day comes before Easter. <laughs> I was like, God, th- why did I do this to myself? Um, yeah, good for you, man. I, I I'm two months without meat right now, actually. Really? You yeah. are you are you just doing it for uh, uh, just trying to change up the diet a little bit? That's it. Or? Just, just shock the body a little bit, change the diet. Um, I'll probably go back to eating some meat in March, but it did help a lot physically. Uh, when I had some things going on with my stomach and stuff, it helped out tremendously, and I lost a few pounds so far. Nothing, nothing dramatic because I was still crushing the pastas and pizzas. But I just said, let me try something new. Why is all the best, uh, like best tasting stuff, the worst for you? I know, I know it's the truth. So, I uh, so last time I was drinking tea. This time I've upgraded because I just had a little bit of a long day. So I'm actually having a cup of coffee right now in the evening time. I'm sure that's not going to bite me in the ass later, but. I know. Um, Sometimes it, sometimes it's good though, you know. Like my father has coffee after dinner when we go to restaurants. It doesn't uh, seem to Yeah, it doesn't seem I I had to stop doing coffee for a while because I used to work a grave shift and uh like I was clearing like a pot, pot and a half of coffee by myself. Yeah. And then, you know, that just turns into acid reflux and heartburn and yeah. I was like, I, I can't keep doing this. Um yeah. But I've, I've since started reintegrating coffee into my diet. But uh, with the abstaining of alcohol, I have decided to do something beneficial. So our listeners at home, are it's a long-standing joke. We're not sponsored by anybody. We would love to be sponsored by somebody, but we're not. Uh, so while I'm abstaining from alcohol, I will be trying a different uh, American-made drink company coffee tea what have you um so today i am drinking committee coffee from i believe it's oregon uh it's small american business uh first response <clears throat> excuse me first responder owned uh so go check them out some great stuff uh, like I said, they don't they don't pay me for anything, uh, but I would love to if they hear this. Amen. <laughs> Has anybody ever tried uh, reaching out and sponsoring you with any of the work you do? Uh, 
not really. No. It's a shame. Yeah, or there's been always some sketchy catch with it, you know, that just might right. do either, either pay me because you want to see World War II veterans go back overseas. Not pay me, but donate. Or not, like, I don't want to pump your wristwatches or your hand cream. You know what I mean? So, Right. Come on, well, Tom Hanks. I love holding this rifle, but that's why I use palm olive. Palm olive <laughs> is smooth. What the uh, the rifle brought to you by Lumber Liquidators? Yeah, the rifle by uh, the rifle brought to you by. I mean, hell, you think the NRA would sponsor my ass? But I mean, for the I'm the one, only person in human where schools are asking me to bring a rifle to. <laughs> you know, you know that's one of my one of my favorite thing or one of my favorite uh, things that you had talked about in your fir- first book was sneaking the rifle into a nursing home. Yep. Um, I I just like I I don't know the the idea behind like just doing shenanigans like that. Uh, I always got a kick out of. I had a, I brought a rifle like a month after the Vegas shooting. I brought one in, into the a casino in Vegas because the full forty second regimental combat team was having their reunion and a in the golden nugget and i snuck a, i had to walk through the showroom floor or the casino room floor with a rifle in a case i was feeling very uneasy yeah i i could imagine especially with uh the proximity to that event did you want to rate saving private ryan i would and thankfully for our listeners at home we've already got a rating system it's the, yeah, the it's perks of doing stars. this. It's the it's the perks of doing this twice. Um, so, listeners at home, we settled on the very iconic sticky bomb. Everybody had to give up their socks, and they just packed it with TNT, and apparently that works. Uh, so, our rating is going to be one to five sticky bombs. And uh, Andrew, if you want to go first. Got to give it five out of five stars for a movie that represented the greatest generation and saw showed us great combat. Five out of five sticky bombs. And uh, I'm going. I'm going to match that five out of five. Like I said, you know, there's a couple of things I would like to change. I think there's some things that could have been done a, a little differently, but like this. It's like I said, it's it is the war movie of all war movies. If you type in war movie into Google, this is the first thing you're gonna see. You know, I don't know of another war movie that's won as many Oscars as this film has. Um and you know, it's just genuinely got terrific acting in it. So five out of five. Amen. Yeah. And uh for those of you who keep track at home, uh I don't have Rotten Tomatoes pulled up right now, but because we already discussed this before, uh, it was like a 94, 95% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's it's up there, which honestly kind of blows my mind. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I'm guessing you've seen the movie Sands of Iwo Jima with John Wayne. I have. Did you know that that film has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes? 
No, I did not. But I do. They they have some six tank flamethrowing scenes in that movie that I like never seen before. Oh, they, those are some awesome scenes. I just I find it funny because I think Saving Private Ryan is like I enjoyed Sansa Iwo Jima. Uh, old John Wayne films hold kind of a special place in my heart. Um, but in no world is Sansa Iwo Jima better than Saving Private Ryan. Well, like they're not, they're not on the same plane, dude. It's a John Wayne thing. <laughs> Seriously. I, I will say seeing John Wayne do a combat role in the, in Sansa Iwo Jima was very entertaining. I got to rewatch that movie. It's been too long. He, he does like, I don't know if it's actually him or I'm sure it's probably like a, like a stuntman or something, but, uh, john wayne like throws a satchel charge into a bunker and then does like a perfect uh combat roll away from it as it blows up in the background it's probably a stunt double wasn't his last like war movie like the invasion of panama like the 1983 john wayne's last movie like i mean uh... last like war movie like did he i'm pretty sure he it was either panama or grenada he did a movie like his old ass. No, his his last one was uh the it was called the Conqueror, where John Wayne plays Genghis Khan. Like right, so now he's a <laughs> Mongolian. Like I don't how the it hell is like that? like granted John Wayne different time, uh you know and whatnot. But my God, like. That was probably like one of the most racist things he ever did was pretend to be a Mongolian. Like they gave him this like terrible like Fu Manchu like like mustache. It was just bad. It's also the film that killed him, um, because where they filmed the Conqueror uh, was actually a fallout site from the nuclear bomb testings. Good lord. So that's what that's what gave him cancer. I'm pretty sure they froze him, didn't they? I don't think they froze him. I know they froze Disney. They froze Ted Williams and John Wayne, I think. I'm gonna have to Google that. Side tangent, I know this has nothing to do with John Wayne or war movies, but uh here in Colorado where I am located, I I highly recommend you come out if you have the chance to participate in this event. But we have a festival here called Frozen Dead Guy Days. Um, okay. <laughs> there is a fantastic story to it. So uh, there's a town. It's called Netherland. It's a super small town. I mean, like a few hundred people. And it's up in the mountains. And... I think it was like the eighties or something. There's this guy who wanted to be cryogenically frozen, but he didn't have the money to do it. Like, right. So he froze his ass on a mountain. So he bought a tough shed and basically his family honoring his last wishes, put his ass in this tough shed and they pack it with uh, dry ice. And after that fact, the the town made an ordinance that says, okay, no home uh, cryo-freezing for, you know, your deaths or whatever. But he literally got, you know, 
grandfathered into it. <laughs> this seems like a bad dream. So at first, everybody's like, this is terrible. But then they, like, people started coming to the town to check out the frozen dead guy. They're, they're like, there's no way. There. They're like, we got to see the tough shit. Um, so, and yeah, you know, now it's this. Well, oh, yeah, it's still there. You can go see him. Who um, packed with ice still? His family. And how, like long it's, he, it's, how long has he been dead? Oh, like 30, 40 years now. I can't so imagine what, the amount of money they spent. So what, his but, great grandkids are packing it with ice now? It's something like that, yeah. Well, actually, the the town actually helps subsidize the, the dry ice costs now. Is he uh, naked? Be, I, I don't know. I haven't seen him myself. Um, Let's go see a frozen 30-year-old 30 30-year-old 30 prick. But uh, so now they have this big festival. It's called Frozen Dead Guy Days. And, you know, there's – it's like – it's almost like Mardi Gras, but like it's like Halloween in March, basically. So they'll they have like coffin sledding, they have live music, everybody dresses up as skeletons. It's it's a great time. So if you ever if you ever make your way out here, I would love to take you to Frozen Dead Guy. Netherland, Colorado, Frozen Dead Guy. Oh my god, it already came up. Oh, wow. It came up immediately. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's a thing. Like people dress up like Cinco de Mayo. Cinco. Frozen dead guy. The tough shit. Interesting. Personally, my, my, fra- my favorite event is the uh, coffin sledding. That's crazy. I mean, they got the thing open. It just looks like, I don't know. You can't really see him because he's packed in ice. Yeah, the the frozen dead guy himself is a little lackluster. Um, it's more of just like a like a drinking event, if anything. Yeah. Um, but there's your, there's your fun fact of the day. But um, to deviate from <laughs> frozen dead guys and back to your work, uh, there's any social media accounts, uh, upcoming events, projects you'd like people to know about, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. You know, I'm getting ready for the 80th anniversary of Normandy. Um, I'll be running a GoFundMe for that and please donate. You can uh, find me at the rifle on Amazon. Uh, yeah. On Amazon. You can uh, find me at the rifle, the rifle on Instagram, the rifle on Facebook. Um, yeah. Both my best-selling books are on Amazon under the rifle. And again, uh, we'll be doing a campaign. You'll see it on social media to raise money to bring five living World War II veterans back to Normandy for the 80th anniversary. That is fantastic. Our listeners at home, definitely go uh, out and purchase the book. Uh, Even uh, I read the first book myself, and then I did the audiobook for the second um which by the way great narrator for great narrator choice for the uh audiobooks um very very engaging is one of the better audiobook versions i've heard in a long time uh well here's a little so yeah fact go. that the, the narrator of my audiobook is the bouncer from the movie 50 shades of gray 
Really? Yes. <laughs> My God, you're going to make me go back and watch that shitty film now. I know. I know. I didn't pick him. The publisher did. Okay. He wanted well, to do it because his grandfather was a World War II vet. You know what? He's got a good voice. Yeah. Uh, anywho, if you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. The stars do matter. If you want additional content from us or would like to keep in touch of upcoming episodes, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Discord, and YouTube under the Armchair Commanders podcast. Uh, Andrew, is there anything else you'd like to share? Just thanks for having me, buddy. And um, let's do this again with another <laughs> mini series. Sounds good. Uh, for those at home, uh, we do have plans coming up for reviewing a mini series, so keep your eyes out for that. Until next time, I've been John. Andrew, thank you again so much for joining us, and we will catch you later. <laughs>